When you work as a prosecutor, you are routinely asked about the cases you are working on because of the compelling interest people have in stories of crime, violence, law enforcement, and the courts. You just have to look no further than to the TV and successful television programs like all the CSI spinoffs, Law and & Order, and many others to realize that people love to hear about crime stories. And when these are real stories and happen in your city, it is even that much more interesting. So in many social settings, a prosecutor will find themselves being asked about their cases, other cases in the news, and other areas of their job. The best and most rewarding experiences I have ever had in talking about my cases in my time as a prosecutor were the times I spent with my grandparents while they were still alive. Every Tuesday evening, I would have dinner with my grandfather, Sam Lavoda, and then after he passed, with my grandmother, Ruth Province. My grandmothers were both widowed and loved having visitors. And as a young, underpaid government attorney, I loved getting a home-cooked meal every week. Over these dinners, we would talk about all kinds of things, like current events and family history, and I cherished the time. But it never mattered what the topic was we started with. We always got around to what cases I was working on. They would ask me about the cases, and we would discuss them. As much as they enjoyed hearing about their grandson's job, I enjoyed the conversation because I learned a great deal from their questions and comments. Their insight and questions made me realize what issues non-lawyers picked up on and thought were important. This helped me immensely in my trial preparation and presentation to identify issues to the jurors without legal background who were just regular people. I chalk up a part of my successes in almost 50 jury trials to those conversations. It were those Tuesday night dinners and the questions, what are you working on now, that were the inspiration for me to take the time to sit down organize this book, and get these stories in a printed form to share with others. These cases are real crimes and are prosecutions that occurred in Jackson County, Missouri. I had a difficult time deciding whether to use everyone's real names or not, because they are public records. However, when I thought of a victim's families, witnesses, and other individuals, I was concerned that this could bother them. So in moving forward, I substituted some actual names for pseudonames to protect the innocent. However, the stories are real. The following chapters of real crime come from thousands of pages of reports, hundreds of hours of interviews, and days of trial testimony. I took some literary license to get inside of the head of individuals on their thoughts at the time, just to tell you a better story. But these are the real stories of crime in Kansas City. Special thanks to the men and women of the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department for their professionalism and dedication to law enforcement. Thank you to Charlie Craven for your work helping me get the real live cases to printed form. And special thanks to the men and women of the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, where, at the time, they employed some of the best trial attorneys, investigators, and support staff in the country. Enjoy. Chapter 1. The Robbery Gone Terribly Wrong Drug dealing in Jackson County is a competitive sport, and being good at it takes a lot of expertise and knowledge. However, Dennis Moore had a nose for marketing, and a hard-edged personality that kept his clients returning and his business running better than any of his numerous competitors. Moore had a disciplined advertising practice that consisted of a combination of routinely being in the same location for his sales, added with just a little bit of intimidation to his customers. That methodology promoted his product without him ever having to say a word. Dennis Moore was well-known in his Kansas City neighborhood, he was a man easily recognized as he always accessorized himself with red clothing, a flashy car, 
and his gold grill in the same way a wealthy woman might flash her gaudy diamonds. The ostentatious 24-year-old drove a custom 1971 Chevrolet Impala convertible. He was proud of it because it was built the same year he was born, and he cruised around town with the sole intention of drawing attention. However, despite Moore's daunting yet proficient methods, he wasn't the only drug dealer with gang ties in town, and other dealers and their gang members didn't take kindly to people cutting in on their market. Gang retaliation was an endless cycle. Dennis Moore's in-your-face style worked well for soliciting customers, but it put his com competition on the defensive, and when men like this were defensive, it meant there would be violence. Moore loved his flashy persona and his peach-colored car with a flawless paint job. His car and expensive wheels were the envy of many young men on the streets.